And as we continue in worship through the preaching of God's word and our sermon series on the fruit of the spirit, I want to invite you to read uh, two passages with me this morning. The first is Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And then we'll read John 14, 23 through 27. You can follow along in your copy of God's word, but this will be on the screen behind me as well. And it's on uh, the top of your message map that hopefully you received as you came through the doors. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And John 14, 23 through 27 says this. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Will you pray with me? God, I ask that you would quiet our hearts now as we all come in, maybe rushing from the house or running through the rain, maybe from volunteering during the last service. Would you quiet our hearts now that we might hear from you? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be with Pastor Kevin as he serves as a messenger of your word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us ears to hear, that we would sit under the preaching of your word, that we might grow in holiness. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Stephen, and thank you. Uh, for that time of worship, and I want to say a special thank you to Kyle Miller, uh, who is in the center of the stage. Kyle is one of our volunteers, and yesterday Kyle received a text from Micah, our worship pastor, that he was sick, and Kyle graciously stepped up to lead us in worship and did a great job, so thank you, Kyle, for that. And I'll take uh, just a moment to welcome uh, all of those who are in our overflow room, or if you're watching us online Uh, Let me welcome you as well, and this morning I'm going to take uh, about 10 to 15 minutes and give you an update on a couple of decisions that were made this previous week in our lead ministry team meeting. Now, if you are new to Northway, our lead ministry team is made up of nine men, including myself, plus in those meetings we have Stephen Howard, who is our executive pastor, and Chris Heap, who is our director of operations. We meet every month, and these men essentially serve as our board of directors. According to our bylaws, they have the ultimate decision-making authority in our church. Um, However, we are not a business uh, or just any nonprofit. We are a church, 
And so these men functionally serve as elders, uh, as we see outlined in the Bible. And so when we meet, the questions they ask are questions like, what is best for our church? What does God want for our church? What will help us to grow? They serve as shepherds over this group that we call Northway Church. So this past week, uh, we met... Uh, And we had a couple of questions that we had to address. Now, let me say, these men, I trust them. They pray for our church. They pray for me. Uh, They also, at times, will help me course correct if I ever veer off course, which is exactly what happened this past Monday. Uh, We had a couple of issues before us. Uh, The first issue was, do we move forward with the construction documents on the renovation of this space and the new worship center that we have uh, been planning for a while. I will not go into the details of that. If you are new to Northway, we have available booklets at the front desk in the foyer. You can grab one of these. Uh, This outlines our master plan and gives some more information on what we are planning on doing. Uh, We, as you guys are aware, paid off our debt at the end of last year. And so the question before us was, do we take this next step with these construction documents? Um, It's an expensive step. Construction blueprints are very expensive pieces of paper. And so it it was the question before us, do we move forward? And the answer was, absolutely. As we went around the room, the men talked about how crowded we have become. Uh, Some of them talked about how uh, they hate having to take visitors to the overflow room when they come, but there's just no space left in here. Uh, One of them mentioned that he has some friends who have said, I do not invite friends to church anymore because it's just too crowded. There's no room for them. And so they said unanimously, absolutely, let's move forward with these documents. The second question that was before us was this, how do we pay for this? How do we pay for these documents? And more importantly, how do we pay for this new worship center and the renovation of this space and the new kids space and preschool space, everything that you see in the, in the master plan? Now, let me back up again. If you're new to Northway, let me back up more than a dozen years. In January of 2011, we completed a project that was an expansion to our preschool space and an expansion to our children's space. Uh, To fund that project, we did a capital campaign. It is what virtually every church in America does when they have a building project. Here's how a capital campaign works. You get groups of people together, you share the need, you share the vision, you have a banquet, you serve rubbery chicken and green beans at the banquet, You have commitment cards. You ask everyone to sign a commitment card. They're almost always three-year capital campaigns. And so that is how uh, you typically fund a building. That is how we did uh, that last project. And it was by virtually every measure, it was a successful campaign. We raised the money that we needed for this new space. And we did a lot of ministry and have continued to do a lot of ministry in this space. It was very successful. However, on the heels of that, I began to pray and I began to study God's word. And I came to the conviction that in the Bible, there is a funding plan for what God wants to do in a church, including the building of buildings. And in fact, the funding plan that God has in the Bible, the main point is not 
building buildings or the ministry that needs to be done. In fact, that's a sub-point. The funding plan that God has outlined for his people is called the tithe. Uh, It is giving 10% of what God has given to you, given to me, back to him. God essentially says, I want you to give me 10%. You live off the 90%, and all of it comes from me anyway, so you're only giving back a portion of what I've given to you. There are numerous passages in the Bible, in the New Testament, the Old Testament, that talk about this. Let me give you just one. This is from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, likely a passage many of you are familiar with. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. We love that passage. We love those two verses. We love the promise at the end of those two verses. And he will make your paths straight. We want that. We want God to do that in our lives. So, how do we do that? Well, just a few verses down, God tells us. In verse 9, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, the saints in the Old Testament understood what first fruits meant. That was the tithe. That was 10%. Then Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. When we talk about trusting the Lord, so often we think about a feeling, but the Bible never says trust is a feeling. It's always action. So if you want to trust in the Lord with all your heart, here's what you do. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your crops. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with this tithe. We see this over and over in Scripture. And so about a dozen years ago, I came to the conviction that that is the way that we should teach this funding plan that God has for the church. And to say it another way, that instead of doing a capital campaign, if everyone would just follow this command of God, then we would have more than we need to do the ministry that God wants for us to do. And in fact, in a capital campaign, one of the downsides to it is we have the banquet, we give you the rubbery chicken and the green beans, we have the commitment card, and we say to you, commit for three years, great, you commit for three years, the end of that three years, you say, well, I'm glad that's done, now I do not have to give anymore, and that's the last thing that we want. I came to the conviction that the role of a pastor and the role of the church is not to raise funds but to raise up followers of Christ who learn how to trust God more and more in every area of their life. So, in our last project, where we built Cathedral Coffee and the expanded foyer in the student center, we did not do a capital campaign. If you were here then, you did not have to come to a banquet and eat rubbery chicken. You did not have to sign a commitment card. We funded it through our general offering. And if you were here last year, you know that we paid that off 14 and a half years early. So back to last Monday night, we had our meeting. We asked the question, do we move forward with these design documents? Unanimously, yes. Question number two, how do we pay for it? Well, this particular project right now, the estimated cost is $15 million. And I began to become fearful over that number. And so Thursday week ago, I sat down and I spent uh, all afternoon working on a three-page, what I think was a well-crafted, 
well-organized document on how to fund this. And I included all of the steps, all of the groups that needed, needed to, to meet with me and with other leaders in the church, all, all the uh, ways that we would get lead donors to give. I even put in there about the banquet and the rubbery chicken and the green beans and the commitment card that we would get you to sign in order to be able to make this project happen. I presented this to these men that we call the lead ministry team. And they said, why in the world would you abandon this plan that we've had for the last 12 years to do this project? And I said, I'll give you 15 million reasons <laughs> that we need to do it this way. And they looked at me and they essentially said, do you think that God can't handle $15 million? Don't you hate it when they get spiritual? You know? I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to pay for a building, and they got to bring God into the mix. But you know, they were right. They were exactly right. And I had gotten off course, and I needed them to bring me back. And I said, well, guys, what do I do? And they said, we can tell you what, what to not do. Don't do the banquet with rubbery chicken and the commitment card. What you do is you stand up before the congregation and you tell them it's time. We, we need to build this building. We need the funds to build this building and it's time. So this is me standing before you telling you it's time. And there are two groups that I would like to address. One is if you've never, never tithed, you're missing out on God's best for your life. And regardless of whether we were doing a building or not, I would tell you to obey this command of God because I promise you it is far more for you than it is for God or for the church. When Katie and I got married, we sat down to do our first couple budget together. Don't you hate those? Those, those of you that, you know, you've been through that, you, you sit down and there was just mine. Now there's mine and yours and ours you know, when I was single, if I wanted to buy something, I bought it. I got married. Now I have to run it through the finance committee. Uh, and you sit down and you do that budget and you try to figure it out. We sat down to do our budget and item number one was the tithe. And we have never regretted that. God has always proven himself to be faithful. If you're not tithing, it is ultimately about growing your trust. If you can trust God with your money, you can trust God in so many other areas of life. And so again, if that's not something you're doing, then I would encourage you to do it. And if you say, I'm too scared to do it, let me tell you, I agree. I understand that fear. I absolutely understand it because Thursday week ago, I went through all of that fear myself as I outlined a document on how we should pay for this building. But here's what I know. God is bigger than your fear. He is bigger than my fear. And if you will start I promise you that God will prove himself. And if, you, and if you say, I can't do 10%, fine, start somewhere. 3%, 5%. If you're at 3%, move to 5%. Go to 7%. Move toward what God wants you to do. And I promise you that God will honor that. That's one group. Second group I need to talk to. You are faithful in tithing, and thank you. You've been obedient, you understand God's provision, you understand how this works, and you have been generous to this church, and thank you for that. However, God has blessed you tremendously and in financial ways, and I'm asking you to do more, to do something in addition to the tithe. Jesus said this, 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. I'm just convinced that there will be some of you who come up to me in heaven one day, and you say, thank you for encouraging me to send my gifts ahead, (laughs) to send my treasures ahead, where thieves could not steal, where moths and vermin could not destroy. It's going to take all of us to be able to do this. It will take all of us committing, one, to trusting in the Lord, and two, giving sacrificially for this to happen. The lead ministry team told me, if you stand up and you tell the church what we need, I promise you they will come through. If you do not, you're going to have to come to a banquet and eat rubbery chicken. We're going to put a QR code up on the screen. Uh, This is something that you'll see again at the end of the service. Uh, This has instructions on how you can give. Uh, For years, we would pass the plate around. Uh, no one seems to give that way anymore. Most of you cannot even find your checkbook. Uh, we, all, we do everything digitally, and so this is how you can do that. Please, please, please um, uh, pray about how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to do an abbreviated message on the topic for the week. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us. We thank you for the opportunity that you've placed in front of us to make a difference for your kingdom. Father, we pray that you would uh, show each of us how we can be faithful to what you're calling us to do and be a part of what you're doing through our church in this city. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have been here with us, you know that we are in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. You heard Stephen read that passage earlier, and this week we are on week four uh, of the nine-week series, and we are covering the trait called peace. Just like joy last week, uh, this is a trait that we both possess and express. Uh, Let me phrase it this way again, just like we did with joy last week. Peace is both a privilege to be experienced and a responsibility to exhibit. It is something that is given to us and it is something that we in turn give to others. However, I am very much aware that we live in a world that is suffering from a severe peace deficit right now. If you've read the chapter for this week, you know that I finished that chapter the week that Hamas uh, did all of their work in Israel, causing all of that destruction back in October. A A conflict that has been going on for centuries and is still going on today. There is all around our world conflict, and not just around our world, but you look in our, in our nation, you look in our community, and you look within ourselves, and there is turmoil and conflict. I think that if you went up to the average citizen on the streets and you said, do you possess internal peace, you would get very few yeses to that question. And yet, this is a longing of the human heart. This is a desire that all of us have. And if you follow Christ, 
This is a trait that we receive as a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it is a promise directly from the lips of Jesus. That is the passage that Stephen read earlier. Here's the key verse from that passage. You can see this on the screen. Jesus told his disciples this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There are a couple of key points to notice here in just this one verse. The first is this. There are two different kinds of peace. One, there is worldly peace. Jesus acknowledged that. When he said, I do not give as the world gives, that is a clear indication that the world does, in fact, offer peace. And this is not a bad peace. It is a peace that all of us have experienced, that all of us have enjoyed, and it's not, there's nothing that's necessarily wrong with this peace. It is the kind of peace that you experience when you go on vacation and you go to the beach and you're there on the beach with your spouse in a chair. The kids are playing. None of them are fussing. They're getting along with one another. They all seem to be happy. You're in the chair. You're looking at the ocean. You're looking at the waves rolling in. The AirPods are in. Your favorite song is playing. And there is just this feeling that all is right with the world. There's nothing wrong with that kind of peace. It's the kind of peace that you experience when you've worked and worked on a project at your job and it goes well and the boss is happy and the client's happy and you're happy. It's this peace that, oh, I can now breathe. I finished it and it was successful. Or you're anxious about getting into a college and you get the letter and it's the college of your choice and you've been worried and worried and now you know and you've been accepted and you can breathe, or you get the job offer after you've graduated, and you've worked and worked and worked, and this is the job that you want. You're like, wow, now I can rest, I can relax. There is nothing wrong with this kind of peace. When you experience this kind of peace in your life, turn and thank God and just enjoy it. However, there are a couple of things that you need to keep in mind about this peace, and I'm going to put this on the screen for you. Worldly peace is situational, and it is temporary. You see the two key words there. First of all, it is situational. You experience that kind of peace. I experience that kind of peace because life is going well. The kids aren't fussing. That's why I'm experiencing this peace. The deal was good. That's why I'm experiencing peace. I got the job. I got into college. That's why I'm experiencing this peace. This peace is based upon the circumstances around me. And secondly, this peace is temporary. We know those circumstances will change. We know the situation will not be that way forever. Eventually, the kids will start to fuss. Eventually, the vacation will end. The next deal may not go through. The next client may not be happy. Yeah, at some point, this peace, the situation will change and this peace will go away. So Jesus said that is one kind of peace. And it's a peace the world gives, but that's not the peace that I give. So here's how I would describe the peace that Jesus gives. Again, you can see this on your screen. The peace of Jesus is positional 
and eternal. So the first word to note there is that it is positional. It is not based on our circumstances. Even when the vacation ends, even when the kids are fussing, even when the deal doesn't happen, even when the job's not going well, even when those things are happening, your position does not change. And if you're a follower of Christ, this is your position. You're a child of the King. You are a son or daughter of the living God. You are a saint who will reign for all of eternity with the Lord. And nothing that happens to you or nothing that you do will change that position. Secondly, this is eternal. It will never change. Even after death, this will not change. So the peace that Jesus gives is both positional and eternal. And the Bible describes three ways the Holy Spirit brings this peace into our lives. And understand, these are not three separate pieces, for lack of a better term. It's the same peace expressed in three different ways. Here's the first way, and this is on your message map. In Christ, I experience, first of all, peace with God. This is the first, and this is the most important peace you and I can experience. And it is only made possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no other path to peace with God except through Christ. In fact, you and I are born as enemies of God. And if you think I'm being extreme by using that word enemy, let me point out how the Bible says exactly that. Colossians chapter 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. We are born as enemies of God. Our sinful nature shakes its angry fist at God and says, I want to be in control, not you. We are at war with God. Our desire is to have complete control, and that makes us enemies with God. At times, we will try in our own power to broker a peace with God through religious acts or rituals or through good works. We think perhaps if I can do enough good, then I can mend this relationship with God. Maybe somehow if I can just go to church enough, if I can pray enough, maybe somehow I can broker a peace with God. However, all of those efforts are in vain. They're just peace mirages. We may feel like we've gotten peace with God, but it's just this semblance of peace. It's an illusion. It's not the real thing. In Greek mythology, we read the story of the battle between the Greek army and the city of Troy. This mythical tale appears in a number of Greek writings, most famously in Homer's The Odyssey. Uh, Troy was a city located just across the Aegean Sea from Greece, and 
It was the strategic location, the strategic port city. And so the Greek armies sailed across the Aegean Sea and they attacked Troy, but they could not penetrate the walls of the city. No matter how many troops they sent, no matter how much they attacked, they just could not seem to defeat the city of Troy. And so they came up with a plan and they took all of their soldiers and they put these soldiers on ships and they acted like they sailed away back to Greece when in fact they went to an island so they, uh, around the other side of this island where they would be hidden. And they left on the beach this massive wooden horse dedicated to the Greek goddess Athena, the goddess of war. And so the citizens of Troy saw this and they believed that it was a peace offering given to their city from the Greeks, that they had given up fighting, that they had gone back to Greece and they left this, uh, this idol dedicated to Athena as a peace offering. You know the story? They brought uh, this massive wooden horse into their city behind the gates and then in the middle of the night, these Greek soldiers came flooding out of this wooden horse. They opened the gates so the Greek soldiers who had returned from their ships could enter the city, and they destroyed the city of Troy. It turned out that this offering was just an illusion. What appeared to be peace was not peace at all. That is what we get in our own efforts at peace with God. It's not a real, true peace. However, you need to understand this. In Christ, all of this changes. Now, here's the proof text for you. Romans chapter 5. Here's what we read. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. How? Through your religious acts? Through praying enough? Through doing enough good works? through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So in Christ, our status completely flips. We were enemies and now we're friends. There was hostility between us and God and now we are embraced by God. That is how we experience peace with God, only through Jesus Christ. This peace then serves as the foundation for the next two expressions of peace. The next peace that we experience in Christ is peace with myself. We experience internal peace. I want you to notice this, ver this verse on the message map. These were among the last words of Jesus to his disciples. John 16. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus here is very clear. In this world you will have trouble. Jesus never promised that a relationship with him would somehow free us from trouble in this world. That somehow through Christ we would escape trouble. And in fact, logically, that would not even make sense because on the heels of Jesus saying this, he was arrested, put through a trial, beaten, and then crucified on a cross. I mean, it doesn't get much more troubling than that. 
Jesus himself experienced trouble. And he said later on, uh, or in other passages, if the world persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. We never get the promise that we will escape trouble. In fact, you've probably heard it said before that in all of life, you're either headed into the storm, you're in the storm, or you're coming out of the storm. But no matter which place you're in, there's always a storm somewhere around you. And Jesus was clear that we will experience trouble and storms in life. However, His promise was peace in the midst of the storms. In the trouble, Jesus said, you can still have peace. And here's the question. Why do we not experience this more often? Why do we not experience this internal peace when we're faced with the storms and the troubles? Now, if you're like me, there are two reasons. Number one, we will not be satisfied until the trouble is gone. When I experience storms in my life, Many times, the reason I do not experience peace is because if I really examine my heart, the only way I will experience peace is if I experience worldly situational peace. Meaning, the only uh, thing that will bring me peace is if I can get out of the storm. If I can get the trouble out of there, out of my life. And I lack peace because I'm chasing hard after the peace the world gives. Here's the second reason. We just do not rely on the Holy Spirit for peace. We try to manufacture it ourselves. And just like the other traits in the fruit of the Spirit list, we cannot create this kind of peace. It only comes as God does this in our lives. We put ourselves in positions where God will, is able to manufacture this kind of peace in our lives. I want you to see what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4. This is a wonderful passage about internal peace. In fact, this is on the screen, the screen for you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is the peace that is promised, that in times of trouble, that in the storms, we are given a peace that is honestly hard to explain. Someone may ask you, how do you have peace with all that you're going through? And you may very well respond, I really don't know. It's hard to explain to you. I can't really describe the peace. I just know that I have it, even in the midst of all that I am facing. It is a peace that transcends understanding. This is the promise that we are given, that in Christ we experience this internal peace even in the storms. And then finally, here's the last one. In Christ I experience peace with others which was likely the main application of peace that Paul had in mind when he wrote out this list and included peace as a trait that is found in the fruit of the Spirit. Why do I say that? When you go just a few verses earlier, Paul lists out the acts of the flesh. In fact, let me put this on the screen. 
I've highlighted some of the uh, key uh, acts of the flesh there. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. All of those are the opposite of peace. Hatred is certainly not peace. Uh, Discord isn't peace. Jealousy, envy doesn't lead to peace. All of these are attitudes or characteristics that are the opposite of what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Which is why peace between individuals was, was likely at the forefront of Paul's mind as he wrote out this list. That the Holy Spirit in our lives produces peace as a byproduct That as we experience peace between us and God and internal peace, that then leads us to become men and women who seek peace between individuals. So let me give you two things to note about that, and then we'll be done. Number one, you are only responsible for you. The Bible's very clear about that. Romans chapter 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. There are some people that it's just impossible for you to be at peace with them because you can only do what you can do. And if they're unwilling to do what they need to do for the two of you to have peace, then that is not on you. You can only do what you're supposed to do. However, number two, you and I are called to make every effort possible at peace. You and I are called to make every effort possible. Two chapters later, that's what Paul says. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. We are only responsible for our part. However, we need to make every effort at doing our part to, to make peace with others. In the 1960s, there was a Canadian Christian missionary named Don Richardson who felt called to go and share the gospel with the people of Papua New Guinea. Uh, He was one of the first missionaries to go to this region. And as he began to share the gospel with these people, they absolutely just could not get it. in, In fact, he shared that as he told the story of Christ and the crucifixion, They heard that story and they believed that Judas was the hero of the story and that Jesus was the chump who allowed this to happen to him. He was the poor soul who got the raw end of the deal. And Don Richardson just could not get them to understand why God sent his son to broker this peace between us and God. They just could not get it. However, there were these two warring tribes in Papua New Guinea. And for decades, these two groups had been fighting against each other. And the two chiefs, the leaders of these two groups, understood that if they continued to fight like this, they they were going to annihilate one another and their people would no longer exist. And, And so they got together and they said, we need to figure out some way to have peace. But they knew that they could just not say we're, we're going to quit fighting. This fighting had been going on for decades. And so finally they came up with this idea. One of the chiefs had a son, a newborn son. And he took that son and he gave it to the other chief. And that chief adopted that son. 
And they determined as long as that child was alive, they would not fight each other. Uh, for one chief, it was his biological child. He loved the child. He wanted no harm to come to this tribe that was caring for his child. For this other chief, it was his adopted child. And so he did not want to fight the biological parents of this adopted child. And as long as the child was alive, there was peace between these two groups. Don Richardson later wrote a book called The Peace Child. And he said, that was the key for me helping them understand why God sent his son, the Prince of Peace, to broker a peace between us and him. In Christ, we are able to have a peace that passes all understanding. I hope that you know that peace today.